Look, I think it's quite extraordinary that uh, proven thoroughbreds and the principal's about to join us, Jamie Walter, have got two legitimate winning chances in the tab Everest. Now, these horses weren't inexpensive. So this Everest is just not for the wealthy. To give you an example, Private Eye, who won last weekend, 62,500. I think he came from the South Australian Magic Midian sale. So 62,500. Think about it. The Stradbroke and Kingsford Smith winner, 70,000. Marzu, a triple crown syndicated horse, 180. Giga Kick, we know all about him. His sire is Scissor Kick. He got banished off to Tunisia. Scissor Kick, he didn't go through a sale. I wish I win. His leg was so badly turned out when he was a foal, they thought he was a million to one of even getting to the track. And now he's one of our stars. So he didn't go through a sale. I wish I win. Buenos Notches, who I think will get in the race for Matthew Smith and a heap of owners... Well, he cost $40,000. So it's quite extraordinary. Jamie Walter is with us. How are you, Jamie? Very well, thanks, Steve. But that's a ma remarkable achievement. When you think of the sales and the owners and the horses that are racing in this country, you've got two that you've picked out at various sales and they're both running in the, in the $20 million Everest, private iron. Think about it. Well, very, very lucky, firstly. Is it luck, though? Steve. Well, to, tell us about the due that, diligence yeah. that's involved with picking these. It's not just pick a, you know, grab a catalogue the day before and waltz in, do your best. No, well, you've got to do your homework, and I've been doing this a long, long time, so I suppose you would like to think you're getting a little bit better at it. Um, however, uh, horses like Private Eye, horses like Think About It, uh, they just happen. They're, they're very, very hard to stumble on, and... Uh, as I say, I've been waiting a long time for these two horses and uh, it's fantastic to have them both in the race. Tell me about heading to Adelaide to get Private Eye by El Mahar. Certainly not a fashion, fashionable stallion. Well, he was out of a mare that had thrown uh, a dual city winner. Confidential but, Queen? Uh, no, 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 no. no. Um, conf yeah, Confidential Queen was the mother, but she was, I think, unraced or, or very lightly raced, but... Uh, she'd thrown a horse that Joe trained and won a few in town. And uh, I'm pretty sure Private Eye was the second foal. So it was more the mare that attracted us to the horse rather than Almaha. Not that I was uh, necessarily negative on Almaha. He's, he can find a good horse. And a lot of them, a lot of the Almahas are pretty bulky. Through the, through the fore quarter, and, and this horse wasn't. So that was one of the reasons that he, he, we're attracted to him. He was, he was a neat horse. He wasn't a particularly great moving horse, but he had plenty of bone and forearm and generally quite attractive. So at the price, he was, he was hard to knock back. Secret Spy was the horse you're trying to think of. Uh, no, no, it was something witness. Oh, it okay, royal witness. Royal witness. Yeah, secret spies. Also, the full relation to this horse, Private Eye. Yeah, he came after Private oh, Eye. Oh, did he? Yep. Mm. Well, Jamie, what was the expectation last weekend? I mean, he was three wide the trip there, and he's run the fastest last six hundred. He was a twelve dollar chance in the shorts. Yeah, I, I actually thought he would have been snapped up for the Everest earlier than he than he eventually was. Because he did run second last year, and a very close second, and his lead-up form, or lead-up trial form for this race was first class. Joe was convinced he had him, 
back to his best. Maybe he's, he's more of a spring horse, Steve, because the last couple of autumns have been complete blowouts for us, but the springs have been devastating last spring anyway. So uh, really looking forward to uh, to uh, a month's time when we get into the Everest or, or three weeks' time. Yeah, I remember the win after the Everest. It was extraordinary that day. I don't think there's too many horses in the country that would have beaten him uh, in that, you know, named after the previous year where he busted the clock at 1,300 and got the bonus. Yeah, and he came from a wide gate. And as you know, the 1,300-metre start at Rose Hill is precarious for wide alleys. So we we were pretty cautious, and, and Brett and Abdullah had to sort of drag him back in that race. But, gee, when you let him go in the straight, he just unleashed. So yeah. you've, you've locked the slot in with a, a guy that used to work with many years ago on the trading floor. Is that right? That's correct. Max Whitby and I have a lot of history, and uh, he's a hell of a character, Max. And and I think Max is is uh, it really represents what's great about Australian racing. He's a terrific rags to rich riches story, and. Uh, the more of those we have occurring in Australian racing, the better. Tell me about your days working with him. What what were you actually doing, yourself and Max, at the time? Well, Max ran a sort of a, a, a brokerage clearing house, if you like, and I was a what we called a local trader, which was like an independent futures trader. It wasn't a very good one, Steve. <laughs> Which explains why I got out of it after ten years. But uh, look, it was it was a it was a fascinating time in in, in Australian financial history. It was with open outcry. Of course, it's all electronic these days. But um, I made some great friendships and 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 developed relationships down there and with people like Max, which I'm very grateful for. Yeah, he's certainly a flamboyant character on the Gold Coast. He, him and the Gold Coast would just work uh, beautifully together. So just just explain that in a little more detail, just buying shares and selling in those days on the floor, a very busy floor, I dare say. Where, where were you based? Uh, in Sydney, uh, in, in the city. Uh, there was a big open outcry, Futures floor, similar to the old Stock Exchange. You would have seen footage of that on Yes. Um, from from years ago, the, the stock exchange went electronic, but the futures uh, market remained open outcry for some years after, and that's the market we were trading derivatives, basically just futures markets for bonds and and what they called the the share price index. But uh, it was highly speculative and uh, adrenaline pumping, shall we say. So how did the call go? Take us through that phone call with Max with Private Eye to lock him in. Well, he phoned me minutes after Private Eye passed the post, to be honest. And I couldn't talk, obviously, at the time. But I phoned him back fairly promptly and he he's, uh, was was pretty keen to, to work out something. We subsequently had three other offers from some of the remaining slot holders. So we had a little bit to weigh up and... There was a fair bit of time spent on the phone last Sunday whilst we nutted out the, uh, the nitty-gritty, but we, we, we worked it out and uh, delighted to be involved with, with Max and Neil Werrett. And, and Neil and I go back a fair way too. Neil owned shares with us some years ago when we first started Proven Thoroughbreds. 
And Nash, of course, he rode him some time ago, but he's back on last weekend. And it's just amazing that extra inch or two he can get out of horses. Yeah, look, he's, he's an informed jockey, as he showed on, uh, I think, at over in the race before. Uh, High-class jockey. Uh, terrific hands and heels rider. Nashville, really. you're seeing riding horses out. It's not all about just belting them with the stick. He, he, he really drives the horse hands and heels. He's a great horseman, fearless rider, and has been for many years, and we're delighted to have him on. So that's the next run, the 14th of October. Indeed it is, Steve. And what happens beyond? Do you go to that same race he bolted in last year? Well, most likely. Um, look, what we have found with private eyes, he doesn't really back up. And like last year, this nature strip or giga kick, as it will be called this year, is going to be run, unfortunately, seven days prior to Champions Day in Melbourne. So we took him down there last year for the Champions Mile and it didn't work. So we won't be doing that again. He was too keen. He was favourite and it was too far, wasn't it? Well... You say too far. He's yeah, I know. Out. But was Joe trading him as a sprinter at the time? I'm... Anyway. Well, I think I think it was probably more to do with a, with a pretty tough, um, albeit um, three-run uh, spring campaign over sprints, as you say. But also, I think it, we've backed him up seven days now three times, and he's failed every time. So we won't be doing that again in a hurry. Uh, Look, if, I'm sure if Joe wanted to prepare him for a mile, uh, this horse is versatile enough to do whatever you want with him. Ran in the Kinton Stakes a couple of years ago in fifth. That was actually Nash's uh, last ride on him prior to last Saturday. So, but, I, but, but look, he really announced himself as a sprinter. And, and the turning point for this horse's career, Steve, was on Stradbroke Day last year. Because previously, we'd just ridden him in the manner of just dropping over his neck out of the gates and, and, and riding him dead quiet. He drew a good gate in the Stradbroke. He flew out of the gates and he box-seated and nearly won the race. Or should have won it. Should have won the race. Uh, so all of a sudden, we thought, gee, uh, we've got a horse that can be ridden handy. And he's pretty effective uh, at, at distances less than a mile. So it, it changed our thinking. It was a, it was a, a breakthrough race, that stray broke, albeit in defeat. Let's talk about the $70,000 horse from Melbourne Premier. Think about it. He represents Newgate and GPI in the Everest. We get to see him next weekend, but he should be 10 starts, 10 wins, or close to, t you know, a bit more luck anyway, 10 from 10. But he was good in a trial, ridden conservatively recently. The straight broke winner? Yeah, lines up again for his second trial tomorrow at Randwick, Steve. And Joe's very, very happy with the horse's progress. Very exciting horse. Gee, it's just hard to fathom what he's done. Joe keeps scratching his head and trying to recall uh, whether he ever had a horse previously that's that's gone through his classes so quickly. I think he just said rain of fear whizzed through his grades, but at the end of his um, burst of, of winning races in succession, uh, 
they weren't group ones. And think about it, it's pretty extraordinary because he charged through his grades last campaign and capped it with two group ones at the end of it. So astonishing, really, what he's done uh, up to now. Yeah, he's been three wide with cover in all his past three wins as well. Takeover target at Gosford, the Kingsford Smith at Wait for Age, and then the Stradbroke where he beat Rothfire, who beat a home giga kick the other day. Indeed. Mm. It reads well. It does. So, which one? <laughs> You've got all these owners to deal with. So Nash, Private Eye, and, of course, Sam Clipperton on um, on Think About It. Given he'll be second up in that race, won't he? Um, where do you go after? Uh, with Think About It. Think About It. Well, mm-hmm. look, much will depend on the next two starts, Steve. Like... He goes around the Premier Saturday week, then we'll uh, head to the Everest, all going well. Uh, the obvious race is the is the Giga Kick, three weeks subsequent to the Everest. But look, um, there is you know, the, the Melbourne Champions Day down there, you know, a, a, a month later. Maybe one of them will end up in Melbourne, who knows? But we don't want to be making any sort of decisions or, or commitments in that regard yet. It's We've just got to take each run as it happens. But Private Eyes certainly began his spring on the right note. And uh, there's going to be a really good chance in the Everest. Yeah, I think Binus Notches, who comes out of that race, will be in the race for sure and certain as well. Tell me about this very interesting article that you penned yesterday that I know you sent to a lot of your clients. It's on your proven social media account as well about these two-year-old trials. And we had all those expensive yearlings trial earlier this week at the official two-year-old trials. And a lot of them were flat stick in their trials as well. Take us through this. Yeah, well, it's actually penned by my son, Tom, and I. It's something we've discussed last few years as the hype around these early two-year-old trials has increased, which I find quite extraordinary. Now, in saying that, Steve, um, uh, I understand two-year-old racing is a major part of the Australian racing landscape, and you do have to get horses going relatively early if they're going to be competitive in races like the Magic Millions and the... Golden Slipper, of course. I think Shinzo, was he the first horse, first slipper winner in a number of years or ever to have not raced before Christmas? I think that's right. So you can understand why trainers with a a two-year-old type are anxious to get them them to the races um, early enough to, to not only give them education and test their wares, but also to qualify them for these uh, rich two-year-old races later in the season. However, I don't see the sense in in putting all this hype on on the early earliest two-year-old trials. I mean, September's very, very early, and every month counts with a growing horse. I think I've sort of found, Steve, working on the principle, the earlier you start with a horse the less time you'll have them for in their career. So you're rolling the dice if you're starting really, really early and you've got to be very confident. You've got a precocious and talented, talented enough two-year-old to, to, to uh, progress pretty quickly. 
Tell me about these stats, and you went back in particular and focused on the official set from 2020. One horse I do remember, Piero, um, won a breeder's plate in October for forwarding the slipper. Jamie? Oh, look, plenty of, plenty of really good two-year-olds have been prominent in the breeder's plate. And to qualify for the breeder's plate, they've, they've got to run in the trial. I get all of that. But, you know, watching the other morning, some beautifully bred colts and they're being hit with a stick in a barrier trial. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. So tell me about these stats that you've produced yourself and your son in this article. Well, uh, there's something like 80% of um, these horses uh, are not active as five-year-olds, which goes back to what I was saying earlier about that. You shorten their career the earlier you start with them. And it's something like 78% only won hundred grand or less or only successful at country and provincial level. Sorry, I haven't got the specific statistics in front of me, but um, uh, it was certainly figures of that of that type, which only serves to to, to emphasise that uh, it's a little bit unnecessary giving horses hard trials at this stage, or if you are going to. Um, you're shortening their career. Yeah. I'll read a couple of paragraphs from uh, this particular article that you put up online. But appreciate your time. How exciting for all these owners. If you totaled them all up together, think about it, private eye, how many? We'll be pushing 50, Steve. 50. Can you get tickets for all of them? I think we'll work something out. And you only get 49. <laughs> I'll have to miss out. Yeah, you'll miss out. Isn't it great? You know, and I mentioned Marzu and, and uh, why it's not just who will get in. Um, they've got a heap Overpass of bonuses. Overpass is another one. Overpass syndicated, of course. Yeah. yeah, what did he cost? Um, he wasn't expensive, was he? He's a Vancouver. He, he wouldn't have topped the sale, I can tell you that. Mm. All right, I'm, I'm checking this as I'm talking to you, so just bear with me and I'll, I'll have a price for, for Overpass. I, but but I, I think the point you make about these cheaper horses you, you mentioned at the beginning of this discussion. 75,000. Yeah. At the beginning of this discussion, Steve, is uh, a poignant one because it basically uh, is saying these horses that develop into really good older horses uh, and, and, and tough and durable and talented enough to competing races like the Everest, you're not as easily identifiable as yearlings. The slower developing horse, you're taking a bit of a punt on. Whereas the, the precocious, mature, beautifully bred, well-developed two-year-old is, is there, there for all to see and you pay a premium for them and they're generally active early. Uh, and, and as a consequence, Probably not around for uh, and as an older horses for the for the reasons we we talked about earlier. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a great part of Australian racing that we can have such a lucrative race for for horses that um, don't cost a lot of money. Bread and butter people involved. That's fantastic. Thank you.
Pleasure, Steve. Jamie Walter, Principal of Proven Thoroughbreds. So just a couple of lines from this article. Juvenile racing is an integral part of the Australian racing landscape. However, statistics indicate the hype around the first two-year-old trials of the season is uh, disproportionate to the future success of its participants. Now, take the 2020 official two-year-old trials, for example, which featured 64 juveniles. These horses are now deemed to have reached full um, maturity. Uh, being recently turned five-year-olds. Now, 86%, that's 55 total, are now retired or banished to a regional stable. 78%, 50 in brackets, couldn't win beyond country or provincial company. 75%, which is 48 in brackets, haven't won more than 100000 in prize money in three years of racing. And 22%, that's 14 horses, uh, remain winless. So the latest edition of Sydney's official two-year-old trials were held at Ramwick on Monday, and the average yielding price, according to this article, um, was 460000 And Jamie goes on to say here that uh, while this is costly, nonsensical trend continues. The proven thoroughbred's default model is to err on the side of patience.